If you ever cross over Common Street to visit my husband's and my home in Watertown, you will see a local landscape dotted with lawn signs. In a lawn to the left, there is a sign reading, when you have more than you need, you build a bigger table, not a bigger wall. And another advocating for culturally responsive curriculum in schools, in addition to other social agendas, like universal health care. A single rainbow flag flies above the doorway. To the right of our house is a neighbor's sign declaring, we thank and support our law enforcement officers. High atop a flagpole hangs a flag of the United States and just below it, the flag for the U.S. Marine Corps. At some point, I told my husband, I started to feel that our house was stuck on the midpoint of an ideological tug of war and that we were caught in an essentially inaudible but entirely legible political argument. I told him that I did not want us upping the ante in the neighborhood any further and preferred that we simply let the lovely trees and bushes stand for us in our front yard. No more lawn signs, I said, please. That changed in January 2021, right after the insurrection in the U.S. Capitol. Online, I ordered a few signs from Braver Angels, a bipartisan organization that I particularly admire and recently joined. It works to depolarize Americans across the political divide through the discovery of shared values. Their signs were all red, white, and blue. They read, Hold America Together. The Braver Angels logo featured stars and stripes emblazoned across big hearts. The signs I ordered arrived in time for Inauguration Day on January 20th. The plan was for us to keep the signs up for the first 100 days of the new presidential administration. Honestly, I do not know whether that decision meant that we had risen above the fray or descended into it. Not too long ago, I saw a young comedian do a skit that he called Yard Politics War, in which he played both of the two partisan neighbors squaring off at their front doors. The neighborhood battle for ultimate yard sign supremacy, the online description declared. The bigger and bolder the sign, the better. One neighbor put out a Black Lives Matter sign and the other a Blue Lives Matter sign. One put out a 2020 campaign sign for Trump Pence, another for Biden Harris and so on. At a certain point, one of the neighbors asks the camera, what do you want me to do? Just understand something else from someone else's perspective? Then he scoffs. Empathy for others second, he says, proving a point first. The skit nears its end when one of the neighbors steps outdoors to finally see a lawn emptied of everything but a four-lease sign. He suddenly worries that he has driven away his neighbor, someone he reminds himself that he actually liked. He concludes by defiantly proclaiming, nah, this is America. It is indeed America, but outside of skits, the reality is that most of us, most of us, to an extent never before known in this country, live in highly rarefied socio-political enclaves. According to media reports, geolocation data indicates that we live in a state of extreme political segregation either in conservative areas or progressive ones. The minority of us who live in varied areas tend not to mix with our neighbors on the other side of the political divide. My husband and I are still trying to beat the odds, however much they are stacked against us in Watertown. In his groundbreaking book, 
the righteous mind, why good people are divided by politics and religion, social psychologist Jonathan Haidt explains that it is a supremely human impulse to want to think of ourselves as moral beings. The difficulty is that too often we define ourselves as that by being exceedingly unlike the persons we come to characterize as immoral or unjust. In conditioned responses to events and trends, Professor Haight observes, we are guided far more by moral intuition than by moral reason. He contends that there are a number of moral foundations that remain cross-cultural constants across the political spectrum. These include ethics of care, fairness, loyalty, respect, purity, and liberty. Those who identify as progressives are much more likely than conservatives to prize care and fairness, while those who identify as conservatives are much more likely to prize loyalty and respect. Each side has a different understanding of purity and liberty. Of course, this can make holding values-based dialogues rather challenging. Etiquette books tell us not to discuss politics and religions in polite company, but I say go ahead. These topics are both expressions of our underlying moral psychology, and an understanding of that psychology can help to bring people together, Professor Haight writes in his bestseller. My goal is to drain some of the heat, anger, and divisiveness out of these topics and replace them with a mixture of awe, wonder, and curiosity. Imagine just such a mixture. After the 2016 presidential election, Professor Haight told an interviewer that he considered political polarization to be the greatest existential threat that American society is facing. And that it was effectively the culmination of a rift that had been growing for decades. He pointed to a few key factors, the rise to power of members of the baby boomer generation, for example, or the restructuring of the legislative calendar in Washington, D.C. He noted that Americans these days demonize the political opposition to a degree they have not done in living memory. He suggests in the righteous mind that we have to at least try to understand why we are so easily divided into hostile groups, each one certain of its righteousness, because there are indeed righteous people on both sides ours and theirs. Perhaps we should all be a little less certain of ourselves these days and a great deal more curious about others, including others quite unlike ourselves. Professor Haight counsels that we all cultivate, that we can all cultivate greater moral humility in America today. This week, Wellesley will be launching its civil discourse initiative with a webinar on Tuesday evening called Community Conversations, How Citizens Are Rebuilding the Public Square. I plan to participate in that and encourage you to do the same regardless of where you live. Such civil discourse initiatives do well at the municipal level and state level, what Braver Angels tries to do at the regional level and national level. They attempt to bridge our political divides. Needless to say, the survival of our democracy depends on our collective ability to do this. We have to manage respectful public discourse in a climate that fosters mutual regard. Respect requires our stubborn and principled unwillingness to overlook people.
their experiences, their concerns, their viewpoints, their fears, their aspirations. As the poet Marge Piercy muses in her piece, Councils, perhaps we could begin to begin to listen. Instead of posting a bigger sign or flying a higher flag or adding yet another bumper sticker to the cars we pull into our driveway day after day, we could engage our actual neighbors, those people we are supposed to love with our hearts and with our minds. We need to stop talking over one another and shouting at each other and listen to the words that are being spoken by our fellow Americans for any wisdom they might contain. We could ask about the ways our opposition might be right instead of cataloging all the ways it is wrong. We have to work to counter this perilous polarization. Sometimes we're just too busy being righteous to be respectful. Professor Haidt cites this passage from an 8th century Chinese Zen master. Do not like, do not dislike. All will then be clear. If you want the truth to stand clear before you, never be for or against. The struggle between for and against is the mind's worst disease. Our righteous minds truly are diseased, meaning they are not at ease. They are not observing minds. They are not open. They lack a basic capacity for regard. They don't consider our neighbors worthy of respect. Instead, they consider them suspect until the neighbors demonstrate otherwise. A recent Washington Post article reported that while Republicans consistently underestimated the dangers of coronavirus, Democrats consistently overestimated its dangers. What could have happened if those two sides conferred with one another? What could a more accurate estimate have made possible for Americans during this pandemic? The first 100 days of the new presidential administration ends in April. And at that point, we do still plan to remove the Hold America Together sign from our front lawn along Common Street. One of our neighbors told my husband that she wished she could put up a sign pointing to the various slogans on all sides that read, none of these things needs to be mutually exclusive. That point might get lost on the lawn in its subtlety, but I do think it is worth each of us recalling that in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. In 2016, Professor Haight estimated that it would take approximately 50 years, five decades, for us to mend our sectarianism nationwide. Until 2066 or so, we might as well get started now. My very favorite sign on Common Street is the one just across from our yard. It signals the rotary ahead. It is a bright shade of yellow with black arrows pointing in the same direction around a circle. I myself find it a helpful and cheerful reminder of a lot of important life lessons. We have to yield to one another. We have to give room to and make way for each other. We all have to remember that we are headed in the same general direction. And yes, we have to get along to go along. An attitude of regard enables this, enables our shared progress. 
We cannot continue to drive one another away merely for the sake of personal sanctimony or political satisfaction. Moral humility may yet save our civilization and our souls. Whatever our particular address is, in all respects, we live on a common street. There's no way around that.